0: In-depth journalism is more important than ever in a complicated, chaotic time.
1: That's why we listen to NPR's Throughline. This is a podcast that appeals to us on so many levels. As history buffs, we love their historical contextualization of important, ongoing issues. As storytellers, we love the engaging way they approach and often humanize complicated tales. As news consumers who want to stay informed, we love the way they give the story behind the big stories of the day.
0: We try to take a similar approach on the murder sheet, and we feel confident that our listeners would enjoy giving NPR's Throughline a try.
1: We've been going through their entire backlog recently, listening to them as we drive to source meetings. One favorite of mine was their episode about Andrew Johnson's impeachment. Throughline's coverage didn't disappoint delving in depth into one of history's worst U.S. presidents.
0: They also did an episode which is rather pertinent to our work, and that was the one they did about the proliferation of conspiracy theories and how they've always been part of America's DNA. That's something I think about quite a lot, given the creep of misinformation and manipulation in online true crime spaces.
1: NPR's throughline is a source we trust. They're all about nuance and depth and unpacking the messiness behind outwardly simple stories.
0: Go back in time. Learn something new. Emerge more knowledgeable about today's headlines. Listen now to Throughline from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Have you heard you can listen to your favorite gripping investigations ad-free? Good news! With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to Amazon.com slash ad free true crime. That's Amazon.com slash ad free true crime to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts.
0: Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness.
2: He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com metaverseimpact.
0: Content warning. This episode contains discussion of rape, murder and child abuse.
1: The surprising thing is that almost everyone seemed to think Ginger Taylor was a pretty good mother to her boys, Jerry and Glenn. The social workers on the case commented more than once about how she had real concern for them and their welfare.
0: The father of the boys, her ex-husband Jerry Johnson, also praised her, writing in letters to the state that she was a wonderful mother to the boys and loved them above everything else. She was a very dedicated mother, and the boys came first with her. This makes it difficult to understand what happened. After she and Jerry Johnson divorced, Ginger, the daughter of an abusive father, married an abusive man. Her dad, Sherman McCrary, and her new husband, Carl Taylor, went on a multi-state crime spree of robbery, rape, and murder. Ginger let them bring her and her boys along for the ride.
1: We've told that story in the last few weeks on this program, and you can also hear about it on the new Wondery podcast, Families Who Kill, The Donut Shop Murders. Even after it was all over, Jerry Johnson still tried to make excuses for the horror and dangers she had exposed her children to, It wasn't entirely her fault, he wrote to the state. She just had the misfortune of being the daughter of a bunch of kooks and marrying another kook.
0: After she was arrested for her role in the crimes, her parental rights were terminated and her boys were sent into foster care. A few years later, Ginger reached out to the welfare department and asked to see her boys. The caseworker would later describe the encounter.
1: Mrs. Taylor sounded very close to tears when she talked about Jerry and Glenn. She felt that she needed to see them to know they were all right. She understood they were well taken care of, but she stated that it was just not the same thing as seeing them and seeing that they were healthy and happy. She felt it necessary to convince me that she did love her children and was concerned about their welfare
0: the caseworker reminded her that her parental rights had been stripped from her and so she could not be allowed to see her sons and ginger was also given a bit of news her boys would soon be leaving foster care to be formally adopted by a new family ginger got the hint she did not contact the welfare department again she
1: would end up seeing her boys again years later as an adult, her son, Jerry, would track her down. We'll have the story of their reunion and much more just ahead. My name is Anya Kane.
0: And I'm Kevin Greenland.
1: And this is The Murder Sheet, a weekly true crime podcast.
0: Anya and I connected over the Burger Chef murders a 1978 unsolved case involving the killings of four young restaurant employees.
1: Now we're looking to track restaurant homicides. To help us understand the patterns of these crimes, we created a spreadsheet of nearly a thousand eatery-related killings, the Murder Sheet. We'll be drawing on that data throughout season one to give you a deep dive into undercovered crimes.
0: We're the Murder Sheet, and this is the Donut Shop Killers the fallout.
1: When Jerry and his brother were placed in foster care, the state did nothing to help them deal with the trauma of the horrors they had witnessed.
3: You know, we went through all that without no counseling or nothing. And just uh, you swallow it and deal with it best you can. But hell, back then there weren't no such thing. You know, if it was, it scattered about. You know, hell, we only saw the social worker. Know, what, once a month, once every two months? I really don't know exactly how, but you know, she didn't really like pry into it. Plus, you know, it's like a hit and miss. You know, some days when they're busy, go, oh, well, Jerry's doing this, Jerry's doing that, and then, you know, I'm not doing nothing. But then the next time they thought, well, we're going to have to move him again because he, I was, I was a fighter. I, she didn't always been a fire just i think because you know when you get put in foster homes and you if the people had kids they'd make fun of you and just say your mama did not yeah well you know how you didn't shut up you whoop their ass and they don't talk about that shit no more and that's i think that's how i dealt with it wasn't that i was mean i was just scared and that's how you react Any. Animal, when they're scared, they do come out vicious. What Jerry needed
0: was a loving, permanent home he could share with his brother Glenn. and almost by a miracle, he got one. A middle-aged couple named Albert and Pauline Nations expressed interest in adopting a daughter.
3: And apparently, somehow, know that the social workers they weren't more available, and she was so high, you know. But I do have these two boys. I won't say we visited once or twice for like the weekend and maybe a week before we actually moved in.
1: We asked Jerry what the nations were like.
3: Strict Bible fearing people. God fearing. I mean they preached the word, but they lived the word and they weren't hypocrites.
0: Jerry and his brother Glenn loved their new life
3: and we both, we was in hog heaven we was tickled. Oh my goodness because they had a couple of little horses and stuff like that. we oh, hey, we on a farm now. We were very tickled.
1: But the good times did not last long.
3: And then you know we got adopted and it was less than a year whenever our adopted mom died. So we didn't get to really know her. So we're back at Step one, your mama, nothing like that. And we we were so happy we got adopted and so happy we got adopted together. And then she come down with cancer. And less than a year later, she's dead. Well, I didn't know it at the time. My daddy never told me. They come back to get us. And he told him no. And he wound up raising us five years by himself before he got remarried. You know, and that's commendable on his part because he never once made us feel like a burden. It was the kids. And and hell, he had five kids before he adopted us. Three of them was out, one of them was in college, and one of them was still living there at the house, and Judy, and she and I, through the years, we became real close. But then she wound up dying at 42 of a heart attack, you know, just, you just get this feeling hell, everybody I get close to, boom, they're gone. So then, that's why I think, or this may sound weird, I don't know, but that's why I think a lot of my relationships don't work because of that character defect of self fulfilling prophecy. You know, I'm thinking it's going to happen, so screw it. I just go ahead and make it happen. Because you know, I'll through my whole life. Anybody I ever get close to, boom, they're gone. And when I was 21 years old, my best friend died. You know, young, he was a hemophiliac. and He wound up getting a bad transfusion, and he died of AIDS. So I sat there and watched him deteriorate for about six months before he finally just, you know, they had to sedate him and let him die. I don't know, you, you wonder at times, I do believe that God will never put anything on me I cannot handle, but he sure does put me right there on the line at times. <laughs> but, you know, I know a lot of it was brought on from my alcohol and drug abuse. I'm not saying I was no angel and I'm just as much at fault for dealing with it like I did, but the hell I didn't know how to deal with it. Sure. Because I assure you, my daddy, he did not drink, did not smoke, did not cook, none of that. So I didn't pick all that up from him. He was a very good example. But, you know, he was big on manners, and big on the Bible. And We went to church every time the doors was open. He taught Sunday school, led singing, you know. Very hardcore religion. And I think, in my personal opinion, it took somebody strong like that to be able to deal with me. My mind was just jacked up.
0: Of course, one of the reasons why young Jerry's mind was in such a state was because he was haunted by the memory of what he had seen when he had been on the road with Carl and Ginger Taylor and Sherman McCrary.
3: You know, I tried talking about it back then, but nobody believed me. Because I understand, you know, that's a hell of a story coming from an 8-year-old. You know, and I understand why they didn't believe me, but, I mean, whenever they don't believe me, who the hell do you talk to about it? You don't follow that shit up inside.
0: Were you, like, telling them yeah. things you remembered about the crimes?
3: Yes. That's what I told them. I said, my parents robbed places and stuff like that, and they were mean to people, killed people, and they're like, oh, okay. Yeah, I Now I understand, because we got adopted into a very Christian family. And, you know, they uh, were never exposed to that kind of environment shit. So, you know, I understand the fact that when you get an eight-year-old telling them this outlandish story, I, I see their point of view, but not believing me. But then again, I think the state is at fault for not telling these people what we went through. Me and my brother both had night terrors up until our teens. You know, and that's... That was... Dealing with all that shit was hard to deal with. I think that's where the alcohol and drug abuse came in, because if we can't deal with it, let's just cover it up. Once I tried it and seen the relief, you know, that the alcohol... And it's a release. You know, get my mind on somewhere else that was mm. And then you know with the alcohol, we used to like to get drunk and go fight. You know, we'd go to the bars, find some big guy, get in a fight with him, just to I don't know. Like I guess that's just part of being alcohol.
1: Sometimes Jerry admits he took things too far.
3: You know, there's times I took it to extremes. Like one time I got in a fight for these two cops. And I'm not a big guy. I'm 5'10". Back then, I was probably 160, 170 pounds. But I wore both their butts out bad, bad, bad. If I hadn't had a good lawyer, i had been to the penitentiary a lot sooner. My biggest thing, especially when I was in prison, these big guys that would try to bully me, I used to love talking them out in front of everybody. I'd beat them down there unconscious now don't get me wrong there's a couple times we got in a big old bar fight there in Longview one time and I lost I was trying to fight these three dudes and I woke up my my you didn't know how I got there oh, yeah that sucked I couldn't have broke some ribs but they stomped the shit out of me <laughs> you talking about hating to sneeze oh my god Broke still on you quick.
0: Getting into fights wasn't Jerry's only risky activity. He also rode bulls.
3: I, I rode them bulls for eleven years. Wow. I'm love that. In fact, I've got on a little old steer about five years ago just for shits and giggles, and got my little old ass over real quick.
1: To us, Jerry seemed very different from the man he said he used to be. We wondered what was behind the change.
0: What did you? What did make you turn your life around? Because you said at one point you were kind of wild, and you don't seem wild now. So, how did you change?
3: I be honest with you, that little five years I did in prison—that was a good eye opener. To it showed me how easily your freedom can be taken away from And granted, the shit I was accused of, I did. So it ain't like a, oh, I was framed. No, I did it. There was a, a, boy, I got, I got sent up for I, was a, I got involved in meth. And I can give my prison number, all that. You can look into all that. But uh, what they got me for was possession of a list one chemical with the intent to manufacture out the meth cook. And I and, nigga lie this was about the only drug that got that shit out of my head. But it was like a like alcohol. It was just a temporary fix to a permanent problem. Then yeah. I think once I went to prison and got all that, you know, I was actually able to sit down and deal with it sober. That's what really helped me settle down real and You know, I don't think it was During the wild days, I didn't want to, like, kill myself or anything like that, but I was tired of living, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it
1: does. It does.
3: You know, because you just, it's a turmoil and that don't do life, feeling like you're a burden on people, people don't want you, and stuff like that. I think that, that had a big impact on my relationship, stuff like that. I'm not good at relationships. And about the only good relationship I've been able to maintain and hold is with my brother and my son. And just Other than that, like wives, I've had a few wives, a few live-ins. Just, uh, I think that has a lot to do with it. Uh, maybe one. You know, I've you i thought about doing the counseling thing and stuff like that, but I just never followed through with it. Just, you know, that's You think it would help I you understand, understand you that, Yeah, I know it would. But I know that uh you know, I I used to, I did N.A. for a couple of years back in ninety seven, ninety eight, something like that. And I got up and I was telling Part of the story, I hadn't found everything out, but I was telling one of my stories at one of the big meetings that we had at this little. Uh, there was a like a youth center, youth center rehab for kids sixteen and under. I think it was, and I got up there and told my story and stuff. And this little thirteen-year-old black girl come up to me. She said, "Mr. Nation, said, uh, thank you for your story, said, you know, my mom and daddy was mean like that. She said, my mama's the one that got me on crack and started selling me. This is a 13-year-old girl. And I'm sitting there thinking, you know, how in the hell did you and I connect through that? You know, which I'm glad, but she and I started talked for probably 30, 45 minutes till you know, they had to go back in their dorms or whatever. But, you know, I thought a lot of times, you know, Maybe that might be why I went you there, to be able to get out and maybe advocate for when you take a child out of a home, you've got to get them counseling, you know, that should be a law. Yes. I mean, you know, or at, least, at least pick their brain a little bit.
0: In picking his own brain, Jerry realized that if he was ever to find lasting peace, he would need to come to terms with his own past. That would involve not just researching his biological family, but ultimately reuniting with them. Mysteries are at the heart of everything we do here on The Murder Sheet.
1: But sometimes it's more fun to dive into a fictional caper. That's why we love the free-to-download hidden object game June's Journey. This game is our daily escape from waiting around in line, getting stuck on hold, and just general doldrums.
0: It is great to be able to just knock out a few levels here and there. You get to discover your inner sleuth and sharpen your observational skills by finding clues hidden in each level. Plus, it's like dropping straight into your own cozy mystery novel.
1: You play as June Parker, an amateur detective with a nose for trouble. You get to tackle all kinds of bizarre crimes across a series of elegant and memorable locales. Also, you have a side hustle decorating your own island estate. I love that. I bought a swan pond.
0: She really did. Download this game for a built-in work break. It's a great mental health boost that makes you feel accomplished before you get back to tackling whatever task you have at hand. And
1: remember, when you support our advertisers, you're supporting our show. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and
2: Android. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at Meta.com slash Metaverse Impact. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. Welcome to your next true crime obsession. Don't miss new BritBox original drama, The Sixth Commandment, which The Guardian calls as immaculate a piece of TV as you will ever see.
1: You will hear evidence of extreme gaslighting. Help me, please. I am going to be waiting on you, hand and foot.
2: Stream this plus the best selection of British true crime series anywhere, only on BritBox. Once you start investigating, you won't be able to turn away. Start streaming today with a free trial at BritBox.com.
1: For Jerry and his brother, Glenn, the process would begin with a visit to the man who had adopted them so many years before.
3: But Glenn and I went to Diddy first and asked him to have, you know, we're talking about finding our biological people. Do you have a problem with it? If you do, please tell me and we'll drop it right here. You know, out of respect for him. And he said, no, I don't have a problem with it and I'll help you any way I can. He said, but I don't know how I like.
0: Even with his adoptive father's support, the process would be long.
3: Is that? Is that whenever I started looking? You know, we had to file for the adoption papers. And Texas is closed our adoption, so we had to wait. When I filed for them, I had to wait like a calendar year. And i done forgot about them. And they showed up that day, and I was like, ooh, crap. It was like you know, that deja vu shit, it just made me say I wound up quitting the job down there and went back to Texas. It's like everything just snowballed, it just started happening, happening, happening. And finally, I had to back off a little bit because I couldn't handle it. I was drinking every day trying to deal with that stuff, and it wasn't doing them, just making me an old asshole.
1: Jerry also discovered that a book had been written about his family's case, Death Roads, the Story of the Donut Shop Killers by Orville Trainer.
3: And I went down to the library, and just so happened that library had a damn copy of the book. I brought it home and read it, and the book sucks. It's really written terrible, but I read it and got the gist of it. And I had to go in there, and as I started reading it and stuff started coming back and stuff, I had to go in there and throw up. I just, there's too much to handle okay at one time because I'd had it blocked out so long.
0: As painful as it was, having the book and the adoption records did give Jerry a chance to do something he must have dreamed of for a very long
3: time. I went around to a few of the people that told me I had a lie when I was kid and I told the book and my paper sentence says, I told you so. And all I got was, I'm so sorry, I don't understand why you didn't believe me, but I told you.
1: Now it was time to take the next step to track down his biological parents. He started searching
3: for his father first. You know, my biological dad is Jerry Johnson. And I I knew he was from around the Dallas area, so I went looking for him first, but I didn't realize how common the name Jerry Johnson is. And I, asked, I told the phone company what I was doing, and they sent me, uh, six of them computer pages full of Jerry Johnsons and Jerry L. Johnsons in the Dallas Fort Worth area. So I mean, you're looking at at least a thousand manuals. I think, holy shit. So I gave up on that idea.
0: He had a bit more luck when it came time to look for his mother, Ginger. He located a woman in Dallas who had a family name he recognized. He reached out to her.
3: And it just so happened to be Ginger's cousin. She said, Oh my goodness, yada, yada, yada. And uh, she gave me Ginger's phone number and uh, address and stuff. And I waited a couple of days because, <laughs> you know, hell, I'm, I found him like quick, quick. Within, well, from the time I got my records, I'd say maybe two to three weeks later, I'd found her. You know, now I called her up and, you know, hey, is this Ginger? She said, yeah, I said, oh, on July 22nd of 67, did you have a little boy named Jerry? She said, yes, I did. I said, Well are you talking to her? And she, you could hear her crying in the background and stuff. And we really didn't get to talk a whole lot right then because she crying and shit. And, you know, then I want to say it's a month or two later.
0: What where, did you want? Uh, what did it feel like for you to be talking to her on the phone and hearing her voice after all those years?
3: It was weird. In some ways, it was unsettling. But then, in some ways, it's like, you know, hell, I've been wondering about this stuff for years, and and it was like very unrealistic because, you know, everything just happened to coming together, coming together all that, but it's, how. Uh, and then, you know, when I was trying to talk, to her, I just kept drawing blanks, for her, and I kept thinking, you know, I had a three-year-old at the time, and I kept thinking, you know, and my biggest thing with her is, how in the hell could you do that to your kids? You know, because I got a little boy that I would kill for, you know, somebody messes with him, but yet you chose to drag your three kids around doing this crap when you knew what was going on? Yes, I just can't fathom that. Did
1: she ever give you any sort of explanation?
3: Never. In fact, uh, Glenn was living up here in South Carolina. I was in Florida. He flew down there, and we got on a plane and flew to Oklahoma and uh, to meet her and stuff, and Glenn don't remember. Or, you know, he was, what, maybe not quite three when we got took away. He don't remember a whole lot about her. but we was walking down to the airport, and her and Tammy walked by, and I told Glenn, I said, hey, there's your mama right there. Because I remember, I mean, it was like, she looked the same 25 years later to me. You know? And I said I said, there's your mama. And then I hollered her name out, and she turned around and looked at me, and her and came both. Oh, look Oh, my God. Glenn. There it is. That was weird. But it might be your mama or whatever, or your egg donor. She ain't my mama. She's my egg donor, but you don't know these people from Jack Shit. You know what I mean? That's, uh,. Definitely different. Yeah,
0: what was it like to see her again?
3: Uh, I don't know. In a way, it was kind of like it. You know, you're anxious, You know, finally get to see you, yada yada. But then, in a way, you still got that resentment there because you you realize my deal is, you know, y'all. Sure, you went to jail five years. Big deal. You know, you don't realize the hell that you put me and Glenn through by what the hell you were doing.
1: Did you ever tell, after you reconnected, did you ever tell Ginger about how you felt?
3: No, yeah, because once I, we went out, we went and visited and stuff, and everybody was all the way around, so I didn't want to, like, get on her ass or nothing, because, you know, bad as I hate I say we was raised, you know, Christian family, respect, respect, and, I'd be wanting to talk trash here, but then I, I, daddy would be mad if, you know, if I talked trash, Mormon, Mama, or not. He just wasn't like that. But, uh, I just, then we just never really talked about it. And then I want to say around Christmas time that year, I flew out to California where they're at. And, uh, I stayed nine days, but after the second day, I stayed a couple of days at Ginger's house. And finally, it just got to me. I thought, I'm not staying here no more. I mean, am either to fly back to Texas or uh, I'll go stay with Tammy, because Tammy stayed there in Ventura, next little town over. So I wound up staying the last week with uh, Tammy, or the last seven days. And I really didn't say a whole lot to Ginger. I really just... Then after that I just quit having some. I quit having anything to do with her. I know I was raised to forgive, but that's hard. And I know it's probably selfish on my part that I still hold a little resentment. You know, Chris. I feel being of the Christian faith, I feel like I should forgive because I've been forgiven but how do, you, how do you forgive somebody over that
0: She was your mother. She yeah. was supposed to protect you.
3: You're right. That's why I said I got them two boys. And them boys, bigger than I am now. But to this day, if of them mess with them, God help their soul, you know? That's our job as parents, to protect our babies. And she's allowing this kind of stuff to happen. You know, I just, I don't fathom that.
0: What was uh, Ginger's life like when you met her? Like, Where was she living, and what was she doing?
3: She living in Santa Barbara. Uh, she was married, and they lived in a little old, shack-looking thing, like one of them old shotgun houses. I don't know if y'all got them where y'all live at, but around Texas, they had them little row of houses where they they're basically like a trailer house, but they're out of wood. They're actually a house, a skinny house. But anyhow, when I went out there to meet him, met her husband, you know, that's cool and all that. But then her cousin comes out in a white beater and got all these prison tattoos all over and stuff. Well, then this other little skinny crackheaded headed looking woman comes walking out behind her, and apparently that's her girlfriend or whatever. I ain't used to this. I was thinking, holy shit, I'm, a, I'm cross-country. From my people, and I'm into this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I didn't like it. So after the second day, I'm not I'm not staying here. <laughs> I either go back to Texas or let me go to Tammy's. What
1: What's her personality like, Gingers? Like, is she like? What is she like? I mean, how does she come across? She's quiet.
3: I don't know. I mean, I've got pictures of where we met her and all that stuff. And I don't know, I don't want to feel like it was quiet from remorse. But then again, I don't know. I don't know if she could, I remember you know, when we were kids, she really didn't say a whole lot. But then, but I see why, because I all beat the shit out of her and she didn't want to talk to me. She was just quiet but a few times, I'd look at it, I want to say something, but you know, got the whole is filled up with, Chelsea, Dan, Tammy, Carlene, everybody. And I just didn't feel comfortable, you know, just blurting, all hey, right, hey, tell me what the hell happened. You know, but I did do this while, while I was in California. Tammy's husband, uh, he carried me, you know, that uh, Jordanos, you know, where they did the uh, robbery and Carl right. come out and shot the cop in the head this is crazy shit right here I he carried me to that store and I tried walking through it you know like the book depicts how the crime went down but it's been changed up a lot this is what's crazy Ginger was over at the deli in that store oh my God. she was the deli manager for that store now what the hell that's amazing. I mean why would you do that and then uh, yeah that's what I thought I said that right there that is not right that is not right. I don't care what you say. That is not right. Uh, and then they carried me up to the house we were living in, which was, what, two or three blocks from the uh, the uh, store? They carried up there and said, yeah, this is where they came and all that, and this is where they found you know, the car that got them on the call. And I like, oh, wow. But well, that's, that's one, she just... It's probably catching, I shouldn't say this. But she just freaking out there. I don't know if it's just like mental being born like that or if she just been beaten down through the years. I don't know. But I just I don't have nothing to do with her no more.
1: Eventually, Jerry was able to track down and reunite with his biological father, Jerry Johnson.
3: I said, I found him maybe two months after Ginger or something like that. And I actually stayed in contact with him for a little while, but he kept trying to do this dad stuff, dad this. And I told him, look, you my daddy's Albert Nations. And finally, he kept doing that crap where I just lost all contact with him.
0: What was he uh, like otherwise?
3: He was, I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't a dickhead or nothing like that, but he just tried too hard. But I mean, he he had two more girls when he got out of prison. He actually raised them, and I guess, you know, he was a, tried to be a good father to them. But it was kind of like jokingly. Like he was a, uh, worked in a halfway house for it, like a drug rehab counselor there in Houston. Look, I don't know, just something about who Just, I try to trust my gut instincts on stuff like that. He was just trying too hard, you know, calling me little Jerry and you know, love dad and stuff like that. And I don't like it. You no know,
0: I can understand
3: that. It may be cold on my part, but I'm sorry. I don't like being fake.
0: <laughs> Jerry still tries to figure out why all of this happened.
3: There's some reason why I went through it and there's some reason why I'm still walking the face of the earth a free man at five for some reason you know, sometimes it jacks through my head if I get off too far into it yeah you know, I may not sleep real good that night or whatever but it does help being able to get it out maybe one day I'll get to where I can do the counseling and all that stuff and but can't pull it
0: off We would like to thank Jerry Nations once again for sharing his remarkable story with us. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Murder Sheet. As always, thanks to Kevin Tyler Greenlee, who composed the music for The Murder Sheet, and who you can find on the web at kevintg.com.
1: To keep up with the latest on The Murder Sheet, please make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Murder Sheet and on Facebook at M-Sheet Podcast, or by searching Murder Sheet. If you enjoy listening to The Murder Sheet, please leave us a five-star review to help us gain more exposure. And send tips, suggestions, and feedback to murdersheet at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening.